actually kick Let's it do off? It. No. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Set um, the premise here. Yeah. Um, what's up, everyone? <laughs> my name is Amar. Um, I'm here with Imran and an amazing filmmaker named Bentley Brown. Uh, he came to my class, and uh, I definitely did not think I actually knew who he was, but he's absolutely phenomenal. He has an amazing childhood and an amazing story. And so I hope we get to showcase that and share that with you. Um, and yeah, really excited. So. so yeah, I guess basically, kind of tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, you've mentioned that you basically moved to Africa when you were 11, started that life there, um, went to every university when you came back, you know, now you're pursuing uh, yeah, give a graduate us a little, degree. A little background so, on, give us a little on bit like who Bentley Brown is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's a great who story. Who is yeah. Bentley Brown? I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's, yeah. there's, a lot well, there's a great story about you out there, but like who, like, yeah. you know, from childhood, yeah. who tell us the story, yeah. Like what are the, the beginnings? The origin story. There's a there's a film you should watch actually. Okay. Oh, yes. no. <laughs> plug it, plug it right now. Plug it. What's plug that it, plug it, plug no, it. No, I've got uh, got a couple projects um, on this topic. So you guys saw Ustaz, sure. um, which is available online, um, and then I'm working on a feature length film called Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ustaz in Arabic meaning like uh, teacher. Yep. Um, was a nickname of my my like formal like my literary Arabic teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, this person was like uh, a musician, uh, uh, an engineer in a way. Uh, he fixed things as a job, painted. Um, and Just a jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, yeah. and wound up wound up actually helping out with um, one of our major films that we shot when I was a, a teenagerish. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so um, so yeah, so that's Ustaz. And then Doctor is the feature length project. Um, Doctor means, as you can guess, doctor. Um, and focuses a little bit more on my relationship with my father, who wow. was the main reason why we moved to Chad when I was 11. Awesome. So I got word about this when I was maybe about nine, so like kind of about you know, like a year and a half before the move. And at the time, I was, uh, I was very upset. Um, I, I had this imagination yeah. that I would be moving away from things like air conditioning. And, like you <laughs> yes. mentioned the other day, Cheetos were, were, were an essential part of Hot my life Cheetos, at the time. Hot Cheetos. Those were the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to discriminate. The puffs were pretty good too. Oh, um, um, puffs were really fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, I used to eat. My, Hot <laughs> I had like piano lessons. Um, we were living in the U.S. and as a like a pre reward for the piano lesson, my mom would take me to the gas station to buy like. A Slurpee and like Cheetos puffs. Yeah. And then my piano teacher would complain because I had all this orange powder on my fingers. Oh, <laughs> it's 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 disgusting. Not on the Steinway. Yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, and then also I had this idea that I would like go to high school in the U.S. Um, I I envisioned playing high school football wow. and this kind of thing. So so being told that we were moving to Chad, uh, all of those aspirations vanished. Now I was like you know nine at the time. And then moving to Chad uh, certainly changed my perspective a lot. One of the things was I thought that I would I would move to Chad and then actually learn French. French and Arabic are the two official languages of the country. So I assumed that, okay, coming from English and I had studied Spanish before, that like French would be a much easier uh, way to go language-wise. Yeah, and yeah. I arrived in Chad and discovered that in this particular area of Chad, so starting in the capital city, and then we eventually moved to a town, uh, kind of in the, a little bit in the north, yeah. like in the desert area. That Arabic was the like trade the language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. So for day one, learned my first Arabic phrase. What was that? Crazy. It was uh, <laughs> which means. Uh, it means <laughs> oh my. 
It means that a hedgehog eats peanuts. I heard that in the film, in the film. and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> one, of, one of my friends reflecting on it 15 years later said, Bentley, if you think about it, there's absolutely no circumstance ever that you would need to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, because they don't, hedgehogs don't even eat peanuts. They eat like, like bugs. Yeah. <laughs> I've never even seen that. I thought he ate rings, you know? <laughs> that's exotic, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. I mean, so I was, I, I was, I was asking you in the coffee shop earlier, was that having kind of partially grown up, I guess, for 11 years, that's enough to sort of create somewhat of, of a character uh, living here in America, you know, a personality, things like that. Uh, moving out to to Chad and, like, I guess being part of that culture for, I don't know, how many years were you there? Until, well, I, I was there until coming back to the U.S. for okay, college. So, and quiet. so I would say... And my what, parents, that was like years? seven, eight years, yeah. My yeah. parents uh, stayed through that time. So I would go back for like summer vacation. Okay. That's awesome. I mean, so what I was trying to get to was how did you like, how did, like, where did you associate yourself? Like, where did you, did you mainly identify yourself like <clears throat> with, did you still, like, where did you, uh, where was home for you? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where did you identify, did you identify more so with the quote unquote, like, you know, Western uh, ideologies? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm still an American guy. Mm -hmm. I live in, you know, or did the experience, like, do you, do you now feel that maybe you associate more with mm -hmm. being like part of like, maybe of Africa or mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that? Like, so it's like, that's a great question. And that's actually something I'm exploring through the film Doctor. Wow. Is this identity transformation that happens. Okay. And I think it actually resembles that of a lot of people. So I think that really anyone moving from any place to another place, um, and that doesn't have to be physically or geographically, could be moving between like communities or between like, you know, yeah. family yeah. to school, to school or something. Yeah, There's something yeah. that happens that your identity's shifting and forming. Um, and really any attempt to describe it from the outside isn't going to accurately define what it is for yeah. you yourself. So at times I, I mean, if I can, if I can remember how I thought then it's kind of a stretch now, uh, to kind of think how you thought yeah, about exactly. things, not yeah. like, not like looking at yourself in an old video sure, and then like sure. creating the narrative that way, yeah, but like actually trying to, to remember, trying to <laughs> create the narrative of how you created your narratives. Wow. Um, is that, uh, I, I definitely went through stages. Mm -hmm. So, um, at the very beginning, and I think this is apparent in the videos as well, I would, you know, I look very, quote unquote, like American. I'm wearing yeah. like American football jerseys and like... Yeah, but there's a progression there. I know, yeah. I, I think that's like one of those hidden things about the, yeah. about the story that yeah. you pay attention to. Yeah. It's really awesome, you know what I mean? And I've actually, I've actually, since I've been here at the University of Colorado Boulder working on my PhD in Emergent Technologies and Media Arts Practices. Yeah. Um, I've come across different readings that I think are, are pretty relevant here. And one of them is actually by uh, Jose Esteban Munoz, who is known for work in queer theory. So Munoz is writing about, um, and this is stuff, this is stuff like before our time, like eight, 1970s, okay. like 80s, uh, sociocultural dynamics, um, particularly with like gay communities and how people had to uh, people, so the, the, the identification is used as a political tool. Okay, yeah. And, and Munoz talks about the stage of assimilation, like identif identification as like assimilation. So like ident you identify, you're like, you're like consciously, maybe subconsciously or unconsciously yeah. choosing to 
like be a part of this group. Yeah, and then you try that, and then sometimes you get kind of fed up with it, or it doesn't really work, or it doesn't like fully accurately you know, describe you. So then you do this thing called counter-identification. You say like, oh, well, I'm not with that group. I'm actually, I'm more complicated. Like I'm over here. And then you try that, and you see how that didn't really work out for you perfectly too. So then one of the strategies that Munoz describes, and again, this is like in the field of like queer theory, so not yeah. necessarily talking about culture per se, but he says, he calls it disidentification. Mm. So you've tried that, and you kind of worked your way over here, and then now you, you actually kind of shed off yeah. uh, all, yeah, disassociate all, all identities. Um, and still as a strategy of survival, uh, as, mm. as he refers to it. So yeah, so I, I read that in a class, and I was like, whoa, I think this describes the way that a lot of us deal with cultural or maybe national identity as well. And that at times in my childhood, I was like, oh, like, I was, I was kind of like repeating these things that I saw adults do. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, Chad, and these like, now I consider these kind of hurtful terms, this, you know, third world country, you know, yeah. or like, or like underdeveloped and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I had that kind of mentality, like, okay. I'm, I'm more sophisticated than them. I'm better than them. I have this American connection. And then, of course, you're making friends and learning a language yeah, yeah, and being, yeah. being humbled. <laughs> you're yeah, like, of course. oh, shit. Like, the world is the world. Uh-huh. That's it. There is no hierarchy. There's no... So then I kind of went the other way. So that was my... Maybe my assimilation was kind of something in that sense. I don't know if you could... Maybe you could call that identified with America first. Maybe you could say I identified with, with Chad in a sense later so maybe I counter identified and said like okay no now I'm Chadian right now now yeah. all these markers about like what it is to be American I don't want to be like that that's that's everyone else I'm I'm Chadian in a sense and I even came back to the US kind of like this I started as a freshman at Emory and I had this dream to to write a book called like America fucked me I had no, I had no, like, I had no outline, I had no, like, actual structure to what I, how I would formulate that argument, but I had this feeling that, that somehow, like, America sapped away this, this depth of experience that I had yeah. or something, wow. right? But then, looking at that, even that is... Like uh, it's overly simplifying. It's still maybe hateful. It's not. It's not like incorporating this diversity of experiences of really everyone everywhere. So that probably after that is when I would say I, I disidentified more, um, because people people use these national markers to quickly identify you, like to quickly kind of you know describe you, and I think they just they just fall short. So they kind of they lump you in a box, and it doesn't yeah. really describe who you are. Um, and I, and I, then on top of that, let's say it doesn't lump you in a box. Let's say like. Great. If you said I was American Chadian, right? That, that's like fairly accurate and fairly weird. Like you can kind of start to imagine, like, okay, wow, okay, yeah, maybe he is. That's cool. Okay, great. But then to hold that identity over someone else, also like, uh, is equally problematic because it's kind of like saying, like, especially in these academic settings where people are they're like signaling, they're like saying, I have this thing in my background. I did this. I speak this yeah, language. Yeah. I believe this. I, I'm, compl- I'm complex. So listen to what yeah, I have to say. Of course. That what? No, no, no. Nothing. Nothing makes anyone better than anyone. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the on, on, the, on the basic level. Sure. On the basic level. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So then I want to ask you because you like kind of touched on it just briefly, but like, w- can you point to like a very memorable moment in your childhood where you had that self-realization moment? Mm. Like well, some of them are with language. Like epiphany, I guess. Some of them I think were or would be defined by language. 
Okay. So, yeah, actually, it was another question that I was yeah. actually was oh, yeah. in line. They might that, fit together. Yeah, um, I was, so, I don't know, I, maybe I haven't done enough research into this, but I believe that always, I think the structure of language in yeah. itself um, is something that affects the way you like your, co your cognitive functions, you know what I mean? The way your, your personality forms, you know. I think language has a huge influence on that. Like, for instance, when we learn English, we're not learning necessarily the language, we're learning a structure, a way mm -hmm. of thinking, you know? Yeah. And for you, was learning another, learning another language, did it, did it, in any sense, did it impact the way you were starting to think, maybe? Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. So let's go back, start with over here, with sure. uh, the idea that there were moments where I realized yeah. things about my identity. Yeah. And so I'm saying maybe one of some of the, maybe some of the ways to organize that is to look at where I realize things about language. Sure. And that, that then gets sort of imposed on my identity. Yeah. Um, so number one was, I, when I arrived in Chad, uh, I actually met some other Americans who spoke Arabic. Wow. So they had learned Arabic. Okay. And, and, and remember, I was arriving in Chad as an 11-year-old, thinking that I would learn French. Meeting people who spoke Arabic and they didn't speak French was shaking things up for me. And I wound up uh, aspiring to speak Arabic like they did. Okay, now that particular family that I met, um, they actually traveled to the US about a month or so after, uh -huh. after I arrived in, in Chad. And, and myself and my brother were kind of left to start from scratch to okay. make new friends. And they had introduced us to some, some friends as well. So um, I started like, playing basketball, of course. Sure. Um, we would walk around our neighborhood. We would go to, we had a couple friends who were just like a, an eight minute walk away. So we'd walk to their place. And we kept getting called over in the street and kind of like harassed, <laughs> po like politely <laughs> harassed, like, yeah, right. hey, that you in, like this kind of stuff. People, yeah, yeah, just, just saying, people knowing that like we were learning Arabic, um, just to sort of mess with us, right? So, yeah, which is pretty funny actually yeah. in retrospect. So like we would get stopped for like, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and you're just answering basic ask questions about like, <laughs> where are you going? How do you speak Arabic? Where are you from? Mm, do you like green tea? Like that. And like, you, you don't know the word like green yet or something. You're like, Ah, oh, um, so that happened over the course of a, of, a, of the next like six months. Sure. I had a couple moments that that, that were impressed upon me. One was uh, we had some other American visitors um, who had learned Arabic in other countries. So they're coming from like Jordan and Egypt and stuff. And with them, we went. We visited a nearby town, uh, and we're walking down the street, and a, like a flock of like kids who were following us, wow. which they often do Shame. or did for, for like any uh, like seeming foreigner that was like straight up entertainment, right? Yeah. And so this group of kids is following us and some kids were saying some stuff to me and I re responded to them saying like, to one of them saying like, like this, okay. which means like, oh, you're not scaring me. Like, I'm not afraid of you like that. Um, to me, it was like a basic sentence, whatever. The person with me later that day said, you, like the way you constructed that sentence was like flawless because he had spoken Arabic from other countries and stuff too. It's like it's fascinating. You did this all in like four months. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even I didn't even what think I, anything of it. I was like, I don't even speak Arabic. What are you talking yeah. about? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. So that was a realization. We also went to a concert with some friends, some uh, like a Chadian couple 
uh, and, and our family went to this concert at a like a French cultural center thing, and the parking guard, like the security guard outside that like talks to you as you about to go inside and park the car, um, was Chadian, and when we talked to my dad, my dad's speaking Arabic, my dad doesn't speak French or didn't speak French at the time. Okay. He was like jumbling through his words, like not not like a physiological stutter, but like stuttering as a lack of not speaking, like not speaking yeah, like the chatty guard. Yeah. So he's like, uh, I'm sure. Well, I, uh, 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 he doesn't know how to say it. Doesn't even know how to say it. So we go through the parking. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get what was going on. We go through, go into the parking lot, and my dad's friend Chadian, um, who is, he's like you know studied Arabic extensively and taught Arabic. This guy's like super cool, kind of a linguist in a way. Turns to my dad and he's like, that guy didn't speak Arabic like that. And I was, I had this realization, oh my God, there are Chadians that don't speak Arabic. Wow. Which pointed to also the diversity of Chad, similar to talking about Malaysia earlier, mm-hmm. like that's a place where it's super linguistically diverse and it's tough to pin, like if you're Malaysian, yeah. you speak like Malay, Tamil, English, There's some conversation, Chinese, Han Chinese, yeah. Like yeah, for India, oh my God, India's like dialects. India defines. Most, yeah. They all have the most languages, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. people are like, yeah. oh yeah, like no one actually speaks Hindi. I'm like, what? No, everyone speaks Hindi. They're like, yes, they do, but they have this other language. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, I can speak Hindi. Yeah. I'm set to go to India. Like, yeah. no, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not. <laughs> so, um, so that was another moment. And then lastly, is that American family that I'd met at the very beginning? They returned about like six months later, and 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 I realized, holy shit, I had like passed most of them in Arabic. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Just by through that like unorthodox lifestyle, mm-hmm. you had to integrate yourself quickly. You have to. I know. It was like a it, you just, survival. It, it catalyzed that like the fact that you were kind of placed in this Forced. very like uncomfortable environment. Yeah. It catalyzed the whole linguistic development. Yeah. Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah. So then, how did you find the love for like film? Mm. I guess like you know like how do you because you're doing that now you know and so in the in the in the film Ustaz, yeah. you yeah. you briefly touch on the topic of. You know, I had just got an American camera, I brought yeah. it back, and yeah. there was no films from this yeah. area. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I think Nigeria, you touched on this, Nollywood was up and coming and yeah. very sweep the nation. Yeah. Um, but that's my question is like, why did you, why did you pursue film? So I also mentioned I had a friend, Abaka, okay. who was the head of a theater troupe. Mm-hmm. So he had all these, uh, right. a lot of our friends in the neighborhood were actors in that group. So I have to credit him first for the initiative because he came to me saying like, hey, why don't we just take these actors and put this stuff to film? Uh-huh. And I remember the feeling of that day. Like we were like, eventually we walked outside in the main road. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, it was like this epiphany kind of moment. Yeah. Um, so that, at the time I was maybe 16 or something, 15, okay. 16. So it, it just, yeah, it made sense. Um, was it ever something that like ever crossed your mind or was it just some, was this something super new that just never like crossed your mind? I bet, I bet, I, I don't know, totally speculating here. Yeah. I bet it had like crossed our minds, like, mm-hmm. like could we ever make a film here? Oh, I'm sure. you're always like, watching movies. I'm saying it was something serious that was in your no, mind. No, this was, okay. it was, it was definitely like epiphany level though. Like when Abakar said it, it was, it's one of those things where like your, your friends suggest something and you're like, yeah, of course, you know, and you hadn't actually what done was, it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> what was the, so in terms of like just the initial stages and like getting yeah. inspired to do stuff. Yeah. Um, that that's what that would be, but at the same time, like when at what point it could have been at any point in your career mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, but at what point um, did did producing films like actually speak to you? Where when did it actually become something more? Like when did it like when was it something that you know meant more than just uh, you know documentation and things like that? Mm. That's a really good question. 
like artistically, you yeah. know what I mean? When did it speak to you? Okay, so the first film we made together was this drama about, it was kind of like conspiracy theories with AIDS. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it was... It was I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> it, was, it was super heavy, too. Um, but in a way that if you was look back at it now... <laughs> if you look back at it now, like it, it was probably like not even accurate, me like medically and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like this guy like yeah. denies AIDS, and then his like girlfriend passes away, and they think it might be AIDS, and he's you know whatever. But um, but the but the the experience of making it was a lot of fun, and it mobilized people around us. So it's one of those moments where if you talk about like critical mass of people that are just like interested to do something, we 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 had definitely tapped into that. So okay, yeah. this is a lot of credit due to Abakar who had the, the idea to like just make films with friends, films with people anyway. I started without any formal training. Um, thank God I used a tripod. Uh, <laughs> and and I, think, I think after just watching so many movies, I think things like the rule of thirds and like basic composition was embedded as yeah, ingrained in your mind, you know? Yeah. So that was, I was pretty lucky to have that. For pacing and for editing, it's kind of a similar same thing. It's like it's like you have it's like you read a book, you read lots of books, so you understand grammatic structure. And every sentence you create is a new sentence. Yeah. Even some of the yeah. like maybe all of the sentences we've said today, it's the first it's a, time that they've yeah. ever been it's a trial constructed. Also, yeah. 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 The first time we've they've ever constructed in the exact order with the exact metering and timing and, and everything. purpose. And purpose, yeah, yeah. and intention and all this kind of stuff. So, so editing a film is kind of similar. It's like a new, it was a new form, like new thing, but I had been informed by all the hundreds of movies I had seen. So, um, but we shot two films. Another one was about a, a guy going to Libya to seek his fortunes and he comes back empty handed, but he, he like prodigal son style, like he like wastes all, the, all this money, like claiming that he's got, he's made all this money. So his father like uh, contributes money to help him get married and set him up. But he doesn't have any way to pay it back. Yeah. So that was a that was an interesting film called the Dabash Jaiwara. Um, that one became uh, <laughs> it became it was still we were still distributing it by VCD at the time. Um, I'm not necessarily like, sure what VCD. So you know like DVDs. Okay. VCD is like the cheap version. It's like a CD with video information on it. And a lot of oh, Chad, okay, okay. a lot of Nollywood actually did VCDs because they were a lot cheaper to make, a lot easier, and you know more accessible. Mm -hmm. You often a Nollywood kind of film you would buy in like two halves because it's still it's still like not much data. It's like yeah. whatever the 700 megabytes or whatever like a CD can hold. So you'd have so to then have you like watch half the film and <laughs> half and then switch it in. Yeah, we had like two halves to our film and stuff. Um, but that film, even though it wasn't distributed at a film festival or anything, it went like national in a way. It was wow. like copied and distributed. Um, yeah. And we think that people in Nigeria actually found it and then then like set, redistributed. This it was out. your guys' film. Our film was like stolen you know, that's basically unreal, formally. You think about because like they it's do a great the honor. same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do that in Cuba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, on yeah. like little flash really? drives, and they have like yep. an entire industry based on that. Oh yeah, that's ridiculous. yeah. Because like the government doesn't allow like the American films yeah. to yeah. the extent. That's like uh, in the Middle East. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Go buy buy these DVDs that are like bootleg and stuff. I um okay. So then after that second film, yeah. and we had kind of heard some feedback that like people had seen it across the country. And people that phrase "adabashjawara" means my stuff's still on the way, and it's such a common phrase, which is why it was titled that way. Abakar actually wrote that story as well. Um, that uh, people, to some extent, people stopped using the phrase. It was like, um, you know, like the, the Sixth Sense, which is, this is M. Night Shyamalan's film. Okay. Um, it was actually the first movie, probably, I, I recall it as like my, one of my first like 
favorite movies from a critical perspective. Like it was like, it just impacted me in a way that, that inspired me to go off and, and kind of like enter that field. But with The Sixth Sense, um, the I See Dead People and all this kind of stuff, M. Night Shyamalan would talk about how he, in like regular ass life, people would start saying things like, oh, you seen dead people, bro? Like, what's up? Like, you know, yeah. like on the basketball court, you like send a bad pass, I'm like, oh, dead people, you know? So that had happened with this film that we made. And so we, we were very encouraged at the time then to, to continue. And uh, Abakar had a new story. Um, I bought a new camera. Wow. Um, that, that shot like you know widescreen HD and everything. Oh my god! This is from college now, so I'd already moved to the US. I was like a sophomore-ish, you know. Came back with that new camera, and we shot a new film called uh, in French. It's called Le Pèlerin du Camp Nou, which is like the it's like the migrant oh, to Camp so Nou stadium. It's in the film, yeah, yeah about like the Barca, FC Barcelona stadium. Um, in English and Arabic, I hate titling things different things in different languages, but in English and Arabic, it was called Captain Magic, which is a throwback to this this like Captain something. The, I forget the name, Captain. Yeah, Any it's Japanese. This podcast? Yeah, throwback <laughs> Japanese animation. Yeah. Uh, that was dubbed in Egyptian Arabic, mm-hmm. and it's like super popular. What was it originally? It was like Captain Super. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that film deals with uh, drugs, actually, and and you know the the main character uses we we get this indescript like we don't really say what they are drugs, yeah. uh, like uh, bungo like weed is yeah. like one of them, but it's not exactly just weed. He takes these pills and this yeah. kind of thing to help realize his fantasy of playing international soccer at Barcelona. So he goes off, like, basically, not just high, but, like, mentally affected. Like, there's some permanent damage that happens that gets him imagining that he's playing for FCB throughout the film. Is that the one where you had, like, the soccer ball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In that film, to answer your question succinctly now, is where I got more poetic. So wow. by that point, you know, I knew that we had we had made a couple films that were fairly yeah. successful. Is that where filmmaking kind of yeah. became more of storytelling? Yeah. Like, yeah, one of the things I was kind of trying to get to was that I, I, I would say as a person, I'm not, I don't want to say as an artist, you know what I mean? But as mm-hmm. someone who, who's, I guess, explored a medium of art, you know what I mean? For me, I always found that like mm-hmm. the most exciting parts in the beginning and the most motive, like where you find motivation is in that, in that time period where you're trying something new and you're learning. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. So everything is new. Everything is, you know, so everything's just stimulating, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, let me try this, you know, learning about compositions. Let me try different equipment. Let me try different uh, ways of editing, all mm-hmm. these things. And at some point, I would say, like, personally, I got to a point where eventually, like, I had learned the majority of what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. photography is about. Of course, there's a lot to learn, but for the mo- you know, for the, the general things, I had no I had known enough and I was doing it in a sense where I was at this point I had kind of gotten to a place where I was just taking photos. I, I do portrait photography and I was like just taking photos of like people and I kind of got to this point where it was like I had no more motivation because like literally all I was doing was the same thing, you know what I mean? And so like mm-hmm. for me it was the creativity that was starting to run out. Mm. And that's where I found like, oh, things don't really mean anything to me. And I kind of thought about it from that sense. was like, oh my God, like, you know, where do I see myself as a photographer now? Well, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, do I, conti- like, do I continue, you know, going down this path, mm. uh, just doing things because, you know, making photos look good? Or do I start taking photography seriously in a sense where, I want to tell stories now, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I think that was a kind of a transition point. And it's like, 
I think every artist kind of goes through that. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, the creativity phase is there, but then eventually at some point, when does it become something more for you? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And where was that point for you? Pretty well, much? Yeah, that, this third film, which, which uh, the other two didn't really get internationally distributed anyway. So it was like, the, yeah. this is the first film that you could like just find on YouTube now or whatever. But wow. Yeah, I definitely had, I think another thing to add to what you're talking about is maybe a better idea of audience as well. So I had aspirations that this film, now with a new, a better camera, shot like in mm -hmm. like widescreen aspect ratio, and stuff, yeah, <laughs> would feel Sweet. professional, yeah, and would have a potential to be distributed in a way that was more cinema friendly. So uh, it was in the back of my mind as we shot that film. Um, I was on summer vacation from college. Uh, it, we just went into like full production mode for three weeks. Um, there was not much of a film crew, so I actually lacked experience. I didn't get this experience really until living in Saudi Arabia the last few years mm. of, of big film crew like you know department heads and, and intensive meetings with this department that department that department and everybody has really specific responsibilities because at that time Abakar and I were handling most things like, we, yeah. would, we would like the, the after shooting during the day we would come back to my place make coffee and, and just like plot out the next day on paper wow. um, make our phone calls make our like send our texts and everything to get everyone in the right place at the right time tomorrow and this with, was with in backup style, plans. Right? This is in chat. This okay, is in chat. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So yeah. that film um, was the first film to go to film festivals. In fact, it, its first premiere, I, I started, I edited it in college and started sending it out. Um, I had a part-time job with our international affairs office at Emory, where we brought like all these like famous people to be distinguished professors or give visiting lectures. So like yeah. Salman Rushdie lived in my dorm for like uh, oh. not in my apartment, but <laughs> in my dorm for like a year or something. Okay. And then Dalai Lama visited twice when I was there. It was, yeah, it was he came crazy. here to see you one time. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't get a the chance to go, but yeah. so, so I think an aspect that we haven't really touched on mm -hmm. is the aspect of community. Mm -hmm. um, but the I want to kind of approach this the the social cultural dynamic mm -hmm. of your journey mm -hmm. in the sense that you're in chat mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're a white guy mm -hmm. making films mm -hmm. and living life you came came mm -hmm. with your father as an NGO and, mm -hmm. but then you kind of mentioned this briefly in class and I don't think we uh, got a chance to explore it yeah but uh, ridicule mm. uh, because people in this is uh, in chat I'm mm. sure you know you talk about this it's like daily life yeah what does that incorporate mm. running water electricity mm. survival mm. here you guys are a group mm. of you know, Abaka, mm. this theater troupe, mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. and you're an outsider from mm -hmm. their eyes. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact, no matter how much you think you assimilate, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. going back to that whole mm -hmm. theory of that, um, you guys, there's ridicule. Mm -hmm. You persevered through that, mm -hmm. staying together. Yeah. And so I just kind of want to know, like, how did you, what kind of types of ridicule did you guys receive for making films? Because you're not contributing mm -hmm. to going out and, you know, necessarily mm -hmm. doing farming. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, using sure. talk, no, uh, sure. example, but yeah. you guys are making films for fun. Mm. And that's not a thing that's culturally mm -hmm. accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, I think, even within our own communities, you know I mean? Not everybody is a filmmaker. Maybe nowadays, mm -hmm. here in America, it's like, oh, wow, you know, everyone has a camera, you can try. But, like, I, I would think, and I mean, I don't know if this is just, like, out of ignorance, I don't know, mm -hmm. um, but I would I would think like a, a place like Chad and a community like that, um, opportunities for filmmaking is not necessarily present. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. it's something so far out of the ordinary for kids to be doing something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. What one thing I mentioned I think in class is that if you compare Sudan to Chad, so okay. you just go one country over. That Sudan has enough socioeconomic kind of uh, affordances okay. <laughs> that. 
that people can spend time in some leisure. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's there's the culture of like uh, tea tea ladies, if that's the shy is what they're called. Yeah. That like um, are these congregation spaces for people to sit down and have a tea together or like a coffee together. Mm-hmm. And Chad, that even that basic recreation is really not common because um, you're, you're just it's disposable income you're spending money on something that you could yeah. do a lot cheaper at home even if it's tea right I mean, imagine like India or Malaysia both mm-hmm. places where like every I'm sure same like Sudan like every 50 meters or some like chai wala or something like yeah but um yeah so so Chad doesn't have even that basic leisure so then we yeah. didn't do anything like you're talking about like and especially people and oh my god music was like total ridiculous. we even did we, we made like an album right like wow. Ustaz, Ustaz is a musician. We we yeah. album together and so and 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 some of my friends. I didn't get made fun of for this because I was coming from the outside anyway. So it was like okay, cool, American style, whatever. Of course, he's gonna make music. But some of my friends uh, from the town, from Ati, were made fun of, saying like, "Oh, you guys are trying to be musicians now," you know? Yeah. And we're like, "Oh, yeah." Like we're like, "Yeah, haters gonna hate." You know? Yeah, it's talking. Yeah, yeah. In the film world, though, I would say it's easier. Um, because, Was it because because okay, people yeah. were just fascinated with it, you know. And I, I mean, you mentioned in the, in the if you remember in the stars, I talking about Captain Magic, that film where everybody acted, like everyone we knew, even if you didn't know the beginning of the day you're going to act in a film, but you found out we're shooting in this like house next to yours, whatever. You're involved. Somehow, everyone man. got into it somehow. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. And people were very collaborative. There was, I can't even remember a moment of like shaming because of the filmmaking or something. Yeah. People might say something to us or about us like, oh, why are you making movies? Why aren't you doing this other thing? But I think in this, it was a small town as well. Um, I think that when we were young enough, like we were not expected yet to be like providing for families and stuff, that it, uh, we actually saw a new territory and went into it. And you gotta, in some ways, no matter what community you're in, you, you need to have that mentality to yeah. sort of, people people criticize, they ridicule, you know, you say, you know what, uh, I don't care, I'm gonna do this. I have, a, I have a vision, I have confidence I'm gonna do it. And then once you do it, those ridiculers, uh, 99% of the time they come back and say, wow, great job, I, wanna, I can't, I wanna be like you, how'd you do that? Yeah, like, uh, that's I had that idea, and he, you, you took it, you know, I'm like, yeah. no, you actually said, I should never do this, that's what you said. Yeah, wow, so. definitely. Um, yeah, go for so, it. yeah, I mean, I guess I want to tie into the aspect of community. I mean, I think with anyone trying something new and trying something different is, I think there's always a fear associated, right? Yeah. Um, your experience with fear, if any, um, do you think that community possibly helped you deal with some of that? Or, you know, like having friends who were, you know, supportive? Or was it more so, I think, did you, did you, I mean, was it more so your willpower to just, oh, this is, I have self-confidence in myself mm-hmm. doing something? There's definitely some stubborn ass willpower there, for okay. sure. I and I remember that's a if you talk about remembering feelings or like emotions, that's definitely something. It's like you know just getting worked up about something. Screw it, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I mentioned earlier the critical mass and people like Abakar were just like fundamental with us. I mean, without people like Abakar, I had another friend Madri, uh, Jiddo, Hassan, these people who they were just they're they're like they're like gushing geysers of encouragement yeah like if you just give an idea they're like yeah let's do it you know yeah. like hey well, what if we want to try this yep let's do it yeah you know, like that um yeah i've never used that metaphor before but uh <laughs> yeah they're amazing do you think this is that you know that whole guy uh, gushing yeah. of uh, <laughs> encouragement like um do you think that just came from the fact that they never like they the fact that they haven't seen like they weren't 
like exposed to things like feats, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, mm-hmm. like you come here, right? Mm-hmm. If I like walked up to you and said, "Oh, we're gonna build a skyscraper," mm-hmm. you'd be like, uh, "What are you talking about?" But then it's like you know, like yeah. that's not possible for them. It's like we have some resources. Let's see where it goes. You know? Yeah. Because it's like it's not something that's manifested yet. So let's go for it. They're 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 more eager to yeah. pursue those. Yeah, things. I think so. Because there's so it's, it was a place where uh, your small town, mm-hmm. but in some ways it actually increases your sense of community. Yeah. So people say like, oh, I want to live in a big city. I want to live in, in like Brooklyn mm-hmm. or something or Manhattan yeah. or whatever. You can be in Brooklyn and be lonely as hell. You yeah. can, right? Like yeah. you, can, you can go about your daily life. You might meet people at storefronts or something, but you're not necessarily making like close friends. Necessarily. Too, yeah. And then a small town like that in Chad, you had to know everybody. Like you couldn't spend, you couldn't like start your day without visiting your neighbors and saying hi. Yeah. That's kind of thing. You just greet everyone on the street. And there's this huge sense of community. So everyone's business is everyone's business, but in, a, in kind of like a positive way. Like everyone's kind of fans of everyone else. Like, oh, great, I heard you're doing this. Oh, great, I heard you doing that. Um, and so there were several projects. It wasn't just filmmaking. I mean, we had, even we started like the first basketball league. Um, even, even, the, even the soccer league, which was a usual annual thing, required like different improvisations and new league, league structuring and new field, new whatever. People were always problem solving, always like yeah, working to way to get to like effort. Yeah, we had our collaborative. FM radio station started around the same time that I arrived there. And we had even like uh, different teams of people would come to like work, like reinvigorate the radio station to improve the antenna, improve its... We're live things. Yeah. And so, and so with all that, there's a lot of like, you know, exciting things going on. Ustaz was one of the programmers of the radio station. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the, awesome. The Arabic exactly hour or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no, then, I think that's amazing because that's that, I think that's like kind of a testament to that. I think surrounding yourself with people who are goal oriented or yeah. people who are enthusiastic. And I mean, I mean, in a sense, I know maybe you are a really driven person, but I mean, I think surrounding yourself with people who also encourage you. True. You know, because in hindsight, I mean, you can never tell. But what was? Do you think you would have ever made it this far into filmmaking having done it on your own with no support? I don't know. No. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and, and it's a bizarre support. I don't want to get too cheesy and be like, oh, yeah, like, like all works are like everybody, all kinds of people, because yeah. it's not necessarily yeah, yeah. that clear cut. But certain certain personalities, for my for my personality, certain people um, definitely inspire me a lot and give me that energy. Abakar was one of them yeah. to, an, to a large extent. And then even recently in Saudi Arabia, a friend of mine, Abdurrahman Khoj, is a director of, uh, of, the, of a feature film, The Great News, which is depicted in a new film of mine, um, the first feature, which, okay. which was uh, in festivals this year. And he had an Abakar moment for me. We were teaching at this that. filmmaking it's like, program. It's a continuous yeah. meeting people yeah. and just being inspired again. You he know had the same again thing. Again. He said, he said like, he, he was, he's Saudi. He had come to the U.S. on government scholarship to do architecture, like yeah, a lot yeah. of people. A lot of people. Or engineering, course. usually, yeah. And, uh, and he had a change of heart. He was in Philly, and he started going to this art cinema nearby his house. And he just, like, fell in love with these independent films. Um, wound up ch- changing his academic path a bit. He graduated, but he went off to do an MFA in filmmaking uh, in Miami. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so he did that, and he comes back to Saudi Arabia around the same time I had just moved to Saudi Arabia. And we met at an event, didn't really make anything of it, and then he applied for a job teaching with me at the university I was at. So in his job interview, he's saying all these things like, oh, I've got these scripts, you know, I'm applying to the yeah. Sundance Director's Lab, and this and yeah. that, and whatever. I'm like, whoa, yeah, well, same, same kind of agenda here. Um, and then that first semester we taught together, he started floating the idea of taking a feature screenplay he had written like back in the US and just making the movie. Because one of his goals to come back to the Saudi Arabia was actually make stuff of, yeah. of length of substance 
And even my reaction at the time was like, I don't know if we can pull that off. Like, I don't know if society will allow for like this, you know, large effort to make something. But, you know, yeah, well, why not? Let's move towards it. And he persevered with that and got us, uh, by, by like a few months later, we're on like a feature film set for 40 days, right? So, yeah. so then, okay. You obviously like, you know, minimal resources, traveling a lot, being in the Middle East, in the US, going back and back and forth, you know, you're, you made these like little micro communities here and there, mm -hmm. across the world, globally, really. Um, for filmmakers, like a, a, a student that's like, I want to make a movie. Um, yeah. I know several students approached you, uh, I saw it in front of my own eyes, it was like, <laughs> hey, I want to make a film, they're asking you for advice. Yeah. And so, you kind of sit there and you go, like, for a second, it's like, I started off just like you, you know? Yeah, yeah. You you're obviously want them to have that sense of relatability and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what's like kind of the advice you could give, I guess, um, kind of trying to pick your brain, is like not for filmmakers, but for people who are struggling to think, uh, realize like, oh, I have to have this camera and this kind of setup and this, this. What is like the bare bones you need to pursue a vision, to pursue a story? Yeah. How can, what's like the best like way to kind of cultivate that? Like, do you find people who are like-minded or, you know, like that, how do you, find, how do you help people find opportunities to get that avocado moment? You know? mm, wow. It's a, it's a great question. And I think it has maybe several answers, For but, sure. but one of them would be like, yes, to take risks. So I love that. Yeah. If you have the idea to do something, you have to do that until you've done the version of it, like the proof of concept, like this is what it could look yeah. like you don't really have much to show or talk about that would actually help you meet people and get other ideas and stuff. So you gotta do a version of it. Um, however, <laughs> this is kind of bizarre, probably like the antithesis of what you're asking here, but like uh, I personally, and I see a lot of people waste so much time in the beginning stages thinking you're working on the masterpiece, the thing, or yeah, of course. and it's not, it's not. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. so like, it's so <laughs> like the most, just yeah. hit me deep right yeah, there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's nothing I can say, right? It's like yeah. it's like time has to pass. You have to see how people react to things. You have to. Uh, it's kind of cheesy when you say like you have to fail, fail, fail. You don't. Nothing's like a failure. Nothing's like a success, right? It's like all kind of on the spectrum, more so in my opinion. But like I shot those three films in Chad, and then I had this idea that I was a filmmaker. I was back in the co college in the U.S., but I was studying like international studies and linguistics and Middle Eastern and South Asian studies and all this kind of stuff. So I wasn't even working in film full time, right? Had I gone to like undergrad at NYU or something mm -hmm. to do filmmaking, that would be a different story. But I, I chose not to do that. I'd chosen uh, not the most traditional path, like political science kind of stuff, but um, but but still not, not a filmmaking path per se. So so how would I? eventually get back into filmmaking and work on films and learn in that vein, I had to try things. And I, I, I feel like I was kind of, I wasn't immensely creative and or risk-taking and trying, I, I don't know. I, I was like finishing up a film and then like making a new film, which is awesome, but that was all I did for like the whole, more or less for the whole undergrad time. I would make some silly videos here and there, but I wasn't like, I wasn't all into filmmaking. I had not made that choice yet. Even when I kind of made that choice and shot Faisal Goes West, which is a film here in the U.S. about a fictional film about a Sudanese family moving to Dallas, yeah. Texas, that even with that film, you know, there's a big crowdfunding movement behind it. I met a ton of people from, mostly from Sudan, who were supporting the film. Composers were making music for it. Like, it was insane. Um, but even with that film, I made big mistakes. I, uh, it was a short film. That was supposed to be kind of 10 to 15 minutes, but I'd expanded the script to about 40 pages, which translates with some dialogue down to like 
a 30-something minute film, that's a very difficult length to, to distribute. A lot of short film festivals want shorter films so they can yeah. show more films. So why take your 35-minute film when I can program seven five-minute films, for example? Yeah, right? of course. And then it's not a feature either. So if it had just been, if I just structured it and if we had gotten on a little bit more money or whatever or some more vision or something. It's always what ifs. Make it, yeah, make it an hour 20 at least, right? An hour 20, uh, even if it wasn't as high quality as, as maybe the short, it would still have a better life because it could go places and you could, yeah, you could like a better story. put it up online. It could potentially go to a cinema or something or more festivals. Festivals like pay your way to travel if you have like a longer film. If it's a short, they may not do that. It would have created a lot more opportunities. So I feel like I wasted a lot of time, but there's not much substitute for just kind of like trial and error. Um, and so then it's just like you you kind of like, I guess just uh, not to be a reductivist here, yeah. but um, try things. Yeah. And recognize that whatever you're working on, you might think it encompasses your entire vision and it's mm -hmm. the masterpiece. Mm -hmm. But don't become attached. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would kind of be like because it always it constantly evolves. You know, your expectations, your, your goals always consistently evolve in a right. sense. You know what I mean? And you can relate to other fields too. I, I, but I wonder about like screenwriters, professional screenwriters, and they they write a film. You know, in their thirties or late twenties or something, yeah. and it's like their their big breakthrough, their masterpiece. It gets it gets out to it's, it's taken up, it's bought up, and it's made into a cool film and whatever. And then they write another film that's pretty decent, another film that's pretty decent. And, they're, and like 30, 40 years later, every film they're writing is decent, like uh, good. Yeah. Like there's something there. And I'm like, that's got to be impossible. How could you maintain consistency of quality of story? I actually think there's an answer there. That you just know the rules. You know the conventions. You know what everyone's doing. You know why they do it. You know how to, the basic structure on which you make your product, whatever it is, like yeah. whatever your, your idea is. And, and you just save a lot of time because you know what to take out. You know how to be harsh on yourself. You know how to like, you know, yeah, how to like condense a lot earlier on. And at the early stages uh, in your career, you don't. So do you think uh, technicalities or I guess knowledge of your audience, mm -hmm. things like that, trump passion? Mm. <laughs> I think that that's like... That's definitely difficult to balance. <laughs> uh, or where do you find that balance? I guess yeah. you could say. I mean, it's not necessarily a black and white mm. answer here. You know what I mean? Mm. Okay, so there's actually a philosophical debate between talent and skill. Are there things that are true talent in life, or is it all sort of this like skill course, and like yeah. and like good fortune that you happen to know these things early or whatever? Like, did mm. you did you choose your path? You know, like was it was it kind of given to you? What what's inherited? What's learned? And I actually think a lot of stuff, I think, I think, mm, I would say, okay, well, probably there's talent out there and there's probably also skill. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, I feel like the talent is more the desire, like that burning flame inside of you to just keep going, to do it. You have the ambition, the vision, that's the talent. And you have to learn skills to be able to do that well. I would, I would argue. Okay. That's a amazing Is that, that kind of, yeah, that kind of sense. Answers, yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's, that's, uh, I, I, I like that answer. <laughs> yeah. So then, I guess kind of like, I don't know, we kind of touched on like childhood, your journey in film, and I, now kind of like looking in motivations and mm -hmm. passions and all that stuff. Now I kind of want to ask like present and future kind of like, uh, yeah. What questions. are your, what are your major, I guess, what are your major goals 
um, moving forward. Moving forward, like what what as a as an artist, as a filmmaker, what do you what are you looking to contribute? Like, what kind of a legacy you're trying to build? What kind of message are you trying to get out there through the work that you do? You know what I mean? Or just maybe just career goals. Yeah, uh, I definitely. I mean, I think good storytelling doesn't hand you an answer and doesn't expect a particular answer or goal from an audience, which is the beauty of life. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I have now I'm focusing more on like these emotional moments, moments of emotion, of emotive qualities that I want to convey to people, but I'm not as concerned with the exact points they're drawing from it. Uh, that said, um, I definitely <laughs> like, like admittedly like wave the flag of like, like any national marker or description of your culture or identity, or whatever that others put on you is going to put you in a box. So, so let's, let's not do that. Let's like, let's be more broad. Let's look at an yeah. infinite spectrum of experiences in life and ideologies and culture. And like, like to an extent culture is kind of like individual level, right? The second I say like Malaysian culture or American culture it's, or it's, Denver, I'm still generalizing. I'm still limiting your experience. I'm not, ex I'm not expecting, mm, not respecting the, um, the infinite diversity in each of those subsets, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, if you said like, I, I think this is a big issue in our time today is that we're, we're kind of coming, we're kind of becoming enlightened in a way, not enlightened, we're, we're like realizing that, oh my God, there's like many ways to look at life or something, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, we, we need to like, oh breaking God. news, you need to include like other perspectives. Oh wow, holy shit. But even when we do that, <laughs> even when we do that, we're like, we're still bringing those in with generalizations, with like a yeah. lumping I think that, that, that nature of just simply like, I think labeling, yeah. you know, we're yeah. all, we have, Labels nowadays, like, I think there's like literally any kind of ism that exists. Yeah. Like, oh, you're part of this ism. And it's like, you're kind of just like cornering someone into a box. Like, oh, you're part of these people. Yeah. You know, like, I, I try to think about it from like this like political standpoint where it's like, there's so much more than the general aspect of like, I guess belief system in a sense like oh you know what I mean even in, uh, let's just say like religion and stuff like oh you're a Christian bro like yeah okay cool this is what you think like yeah, yeah. have a conversation see what they you know because yeah. like the mo most people maybe there's like a general guideline that they kind of live their life by but everybody's different you know what sure. I mean? sure. it's like oh you're Republican bro I'm not gonna talk to you yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're liberal okay you know well I think like, in, in, in a way there's a lot of shared qualities there so it's so silly that they have this sort of constructed division between them mm -hmm. that like liberal like, and conservative in like the US it's, it's like they're still human it's, so like, it's very ironic because it's like oh Huey we want to you know be able to like we have all these groups and we're trying to label all these groups so that we can be like mm -hmm. whoa there's a diversity here but in in that structure of just labeling people yeah, yeah, kind I know, of putting I know. them into a corner uh, it's like yeah. bro what are you doing you know what I, mean? <laughs> I think it's just very ironic in that sense and so you think like you're kind of like a, a hero. Uh, to, I guess uh, in my eyes, I feel like you are. Uh, That's very kind of you. You guys are heroes to me. So. <laughs> okay. What well, have I done, brother? What have I done? Yeah. You, you bought me espresso this morning. Okay. There's nothing there more heroic you're, than that. You're, you're, you're a hero. Um, yeah, I mean, I just want to touch on that um, aspect of like being a leader and hero because like the reason like I, I, I like when I approached you and um, I find value in what you're doing. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. because I don't think a lot of people that I've encountered mm -hmm. that are li like, I, I, of course, I imagine, but now mm -hmm. it's someone that's in front of me, and you know, I think that's part of back, that. Yeah, I think going back to that whole like relatability, um, that going back to that relatability concept, you're just a normal human being mm. 
And I think that in that sense, like that's the most inspirational part about it. Because like, okay, like I, I like to think about it like there are so many people that you look up to, you know what I mean? Like, oh wow, this guy's a great filmmaker, this guy's a great actor, mm -hmm. this, you know, but that guy has a reputation for being that way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in a sense, like just be like I'm I wanna put it in a way that like people can understand. It's like I'm sitting at a table right now mm. with you, mm. drinking coffee, mm. just like any other regular people. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I'm talking, you having oh, this yeah. discussion, like, oh we grew up you grew up in Texas. I grew up, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. and but hearing the stories like and the things and experiences that you've gone through mm. is very inspirational because awesome. in a sense it's like, wow, you do great work and mm. that's something that I recognize, but at the same time it's like like kind of taking from that standpoint where it's like, oh my God, like this is something that I can do as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's something that we're trying to portray to people. It's like, oh, look, there are these amazing people who, you know, do all these great things. Cool story. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, no, you can do it just like them too. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think like yeah. you embody that for me. The current yeah. form of films that I'm working in, these sort of essay films where I'm taking all these old home videos and kind of repurposing them, like constructing a new narrative, literally narrating. Yeah. So as in the case with Ustaz and Doctor is something that in that particular case in that particular instance of filmmaking like really anyone could do right because we all have like old yeah. home videos and stuff and you can go back and visit your memories <laughs> and like yeah. construct something you know <laughs> yeah. yeah I used to like when I was a kid I kind of like I just like I there's so many videos of me I used to knock on like doors for Halloween yeah, he knocks on doors yeah. Yeah. and I just be like tickle you know like just like so many awesome stuff that, it's like Oh my gosh, I can only imagine like a Sundance film. Some movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that, I think in a sense, like in storytelling, I think that's a beautiful way yeah. of creating that, like setting the stage for that, like relatability, like True. showing yeah. your childhood, showing, you know, who you oh, yeah. are as a person, how you grew up. And it's like, because as a person, as, you know, who's viewing the film, you know, I'm just seeing it like, oh wow, you know, like. You know, he's just another kid. He loves basketball, just like I do. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. the guy, he told me that y'all were talking about sneakers the other day. And I was like, mm -hmm. what? This guy oh loves my gosh, sneakers. Awesome. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and that's a cool part, like, to set the stage yeah. in a film. Like, okay, before we get into all this cool stuff, you know, mm -hmm. here I am. Like, I'm a child. I love Amara's question after the film. But, like, the first question in Q&A was, like, so when did you first, like, shoes? Like, when did you realize the importance and of And I was probably, like, was I, like, the only person? What the hell? Like, I've, I've shown this film a million times. I've never heard anyone ask no, that but question. That's just which is an awesome observation. Yeah. In a sense, like, because I, I want to say, it's not something, like, okay, I, I don't know about him, but I can say for myself, like, mm. You know, I didn't get to a point now where like I have like these oh in-depth questions. Like you know, every time I'm going out and I'm asked talking to people or other you know artists in the community, I'm mm -hmm. always like, you know, hitting them with a the question. They're like, oh my god, like no one's ever asked me this question before. And I'm like, you know, everyone's kind of taking you from this standpoint, like oh he's like artistic person. You're like mm -hmm. you know, when he looks at this painting, it's like oh you know this is what that means. Mm -hmm. it's like about you know whatever. And it's like, you know, I didn't necessarily get there because, you know, I, I think it, it took a lot of experience for me to, to you know like to, to to like find myself and what I do you know what I mean and that's like where I'm trying to be honest with myself to find the questions to ask other people so I can learn from them you know what I mean like okay you know what what drives you what purpose do you have to do this mm -hmm. because like I'm trying to find a, a, a place where I'm like how do I find that too mm -hmm. you know what I mean mm -hmm. and it's, it's a good question yeah it's it's definitely it's, it's and I think that's like the whole thing take risks because you through those risks you will learn it's so always be a student not necessarily you might mm -hmm. be a teacher mm -hmm. label as a teacher mm -hmm. but you're always learning from other people mm -hmm. and it's like that rule of three where they always suggest that you like surround yourself with someone that's younger someone mm -hmm. that's your same age mm -hmm. and someone that's older oh nice yeah. and that way you're kind of getting this whole like 
Mm-hmm. Just like you know how am I like verbalizing my ideas to someone who's younger than me, how, and then they understand. Mm-hmm. Then someone who's at the same uh, age as you, mm-hmm. you know, how are we connecting? Mm-hmm. Because their childhood might not have been as formative for this certain like concept. Mm-hmm. But how can I connect there? But then mm-hmm. there's someone older who's been through everything to some extent um, and is wiser in different areas. But what do they have to offer you? Mm-hmm. And it's like that whole thing. It's like humbling yourself. Yeah. And I think you like embody that um, just yeah. by literally going and yeah, you're not just, like you're not and, and not at one point I like mm. to make this very clear to people not at one point did he come in here Bentley mm. come in here and go I'm this like successful filmmaker and from, I did claim that I was sponsored by Nike that was not true but. okay <laughs> oh, yeah. sponsored by Nike uh yeah Nike just, you know just, 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 just in case they're all a couple sneakers yeah, I like the Air Force Ones uh yeah <laughs> but yeah um I just want to say thank you for letting us in, uh, you know kind of interview you not yeah. just like abruptly conclude but just to respect your time but yeah thank you so think, much yeah. yeah i mean for the for the main structure of the interview mm-hmm. uh i guess we're we're done um there are some questions mm-hmm. that i'd love to ask you yeah sure this if you'd like to stay i don't yeah, want to keep do it for too long no no, no yeah. i'm good i'm good yeah um it was a question that i think should have been i should have probably I'm gonna take a photo some point. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, keep going keep going okay <laughs> oh no it's, it's, we're on the spot here um you know what? I'm gonna take a little video real quick. You know, just for the, the good old gram here. Nice. Yeah. You know, we're gonna we're gonna just we're gonna record a little bit of this situation going on here. Nice. I don't know how to touch my camera sucks, so you can do that. I have a real camera. <laughs> yeah, but this is yeah, nothing nothing, nothing matches the prop convenience. it up on your computer since we're not using that yeah. anymore. Okay. Um, I think a huge part, I guess, and uh, you know, now I'm asking questions like for myself. Now I'm like, yeah. please, <laughs> I yeah. need answers here. For me, it's 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 always been, I think, like well, I was saying earlier, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Earlier, where I was kind of coming up with this like, uh oh, yeah. Exactly. Earlier, I was coming up to this point where I was like, okay, as an artist, um, where do you find you know like, you know, at some point creativity runs out. You know what I mean? Uh, and to find that motivation is like. You have to dig deep and find meaning and purpose. Like, and, and there honestly, there's never like a, there's there is no right answer. Like, oh, people always think like, where do you find meaning? Where do you find purpose? And I think we always associate doing good with like that 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 common sense of like altruism in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. where oh, doing good for others is what's considered quote unquote good. You know, and that's what I'm saying is like I don't think there technically is a right answer for where do you find purpose, right? But I think I just kind of want to just hear from what, you know, where do you, where do you find purpose? Or it have, maybe you haven't found it yet, you know, like, is that something that's... Oh, man. Uh, wow. I know, it's a very, very big question. Loaded. So, very loaded, I was yeah. having a lot of trouble in Saudi Arabia, actually, um, psychologically. And it was a oh, place where, fantastic. it was a place where, um, essentially, if you're out of the norm... The, the like the the published norm like you know as a Saudi you're this and that and that so if, whether you're Saudi or not Saudi mm-hmm. or if you're, if you're born in Saudi Arabia and you don't have a Saudi national ID if it's you're in my case you're you're like there. recent yeah. arrival you know you've been there for a couple of years whatever that you you'll just encounter some resistance so people just don't want new, they don't want things to happen out of the way that they're let's say structured or comfortable with happening. So, uh, so I had some issues. I mean, because like you, you live with this kind of, um, this, you know, just a little bit of a paranoia, a fear that something's going to go wrong. Um, 
and I, I saw a really awesome counselor while I was there, uh, amazing person, who who asked me this question, which on the surface sounds really cheesy. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. every question As, needs to yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. It's no, no. fascinating you say that. I like how you give like always that like. This whole interview precaution. has been yeah. cheesy. It's been, <laughs> cheesy. it's been cheesy, but it's like. There's so many different ways like you can yeah. answer the questions where it's That's like true. I don't think about the Cheeto Pops anymore. Yeah. Those are really cheesy. Yeah. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, no. So um shit. so yeah, so the counselor asked me, like, you know, who are you? And I was like, Oh my god, are you kidding me? This is what kind of kind of like psychoanalysis is this, right? Yeah. And I was like, Well, uh and I'm already trying to jump a few steps and be like, Oh, I'm a human. He's like, No, 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 who are you? I'm like, Well, okay, I'm like, good enough for you then I'm a, a teacher or something or you know uh, he's like no who are you a filmmaker I don't know I'm like who are you I'm like yeah. oh. and he said like listen man I'm not asking you to like you know uh, convert to this religion or this religion or whatever but you need some you need some grounding like you need some, I want like wh- why why are you the way you are and like and just to be able to articulate that um, is important and so uh, in the last year, this is after that council and after leaving Saudi Arabia as well, uh, kind of unintentionally, I got into a lot of astrophysics. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Well, and a lot of like yeah, <laughs> cosmological studies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that in the past had been so bizarre and you know beyond comprehension and stuff mm-hmm. that I, I just kind of like wrote it off. Um, I even considered it as a teenager, kind of like just kind of like a, a farce. Like, yeah, let's say my, this religion yeah. is here. Well, of course, cosmology, understanding the universe is like billions of years. That's got to be. There's no way we can know that, right? It's like this sort of farce. Um, but actually, diving into it to try to understand more has been really cool, um, and it and it gives you this thing that some people call like a more like cosmological perspective. That that leads you to think that our like tensions on Earth and and mm-hmm. you know like our little fights and yeah. politics and it's like a little thing. they're just so like microscopic. Yeah. You don't feel you don't necessarily feel like oh the whole existence is microscopic and we, yeah. we like we're nothing. Actually, I think it actually helps you feel better. Like to me in my case, it was like oh. Thinking yeah. of billions of years is no longer intimidating. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's time, funny. I, time's I time. I find parallels in a sense, like, because yeah. at some point in time, like, I found myself, like, very interested in, like, in that kind of sense of, like, astrophysics and all these yeah. things. And I'm like, oh, they're, like, just talk, thinking about, like, things in space and like, yeah. these bigger picture situations. The fabric like, of space time. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, like, I kind of get to this point where I'm like, okay, all of your problems are literally yeah. minuscule. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. what am I worrying about all the time? You yeah. know what I mean? And it's funny because, like, Something like going out there to learn something crazy, you know, yeah. just kind of brings you to this place of like, whoa, you know, let me check myself real quick. You know? And I think it calls back to another thing I had before the whole like astrophysics binge was last year, <laughs> which were which was uh, the idea of eccentricity, mm-hmm. and um, particularly in the sense of like living outside of uh, a cultural norm. And people in my upbringing, many of them were eccentric in a way. Yeah, um, I think everyone. Yeah. yeah, even my, I mean, even looking at like my my father and his choice to move to Chad, although it, it came from maybe certain like more like conservative um, ideologies and, and like religion and that kind of thing, that that as a person to do that in the way in which he did it was was beyond the bounds. It was yeah, it was not not listening even to what others are saying about what you're doing, but but persevering kind of with that that just vision. You think that, that like set a I mean, I would only imagine yeah. that, that that kind of set a huge example for you, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like, as a father figure or something like you, someone mm-hmm. you look up to, 
set like you know like I said the the, the state of mind of being more adventurous and doing things that were out of the norm you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, and the way in which he set an example through his own life and wasn't wasn't really preachy which about kind of maybe ties into your, your film mm-hmm. actually you're going to talk about your father yeah. right? so. and and the one before it Ustaz as well so Ustaz is another character too that was like especially eccentric and lived by his own understanding of the world uh, in a way that would really be frowned upon, even in yeah. like in this. I, I actually love, yeah, I love the last the, statement you made. Yeah. It was like his mind was so full of. Yeah, love. that's the thing. Is like I loved about your your film was that like, I think the the, the biggest parts that I like kind of drew from that was mm. was when when you were talking about uh, your teacher and mm. in the beginning, like how refreshing it was to see like wow, there was a, such a person who you know. Mm-hmm. He, it wasn't necessarily that he was good at everything, but it was because he tried everything. And he yeah. was so... And, like, I think there was a part in the film where you were like, oh, when when he passed away, yeah. there was no more example for the people... The future the generation. Yeah, yeah. You, you brought that up. You're like, who's going to be there for the future generation? Yeah. And it's that... It kind of brings into light, like, there aren't people actively out there who yeah. are always going out and trying new things, you yeah. know? And it was cool because they were... Uh, uh, I guess, you know, you're taking that uh, French and Algeria class, you know, yeah. and there was that book you were reading. Well, I kind of found that, yeah, I was talking to you about this last time. I was like, there's kind of like this parallel, in a sense, with your story and that mm-hmm. story. And oh, that, really? Yeah, because like, so the mother, it's about colon, it's talking about like the issues of colonization. I'm, I don't know if they kind of went over with that. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I can give you like a quick like 30 second synopsis, but basically the novel is uh, framed um, by Dri Sharabi. Mm-hmm. Um, Mor- Moroccan author mm-hmm. um, and he, he talks about like his mother and uh, he talks about like how she had grown up in this house very like sheltered um, and her children um, took, they were studying uh, in French mm-hmm. colonial schools and, and getting exposed to the western world and everything else and in a sense through their education they were like they realized that everything that their mother was going through was a lack um, can be derived or Associated mm-hmm. with the fact that she hadn't she had no tried, education. she had never no, was, been educated. Yeah. There was that so, lack of education. Like, oh, all took these her people, out. yeah, all these people, you know, who quote unquote live in, mm-hmm. you know, as you would say, like third world mindsets. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Are simply people who just haven't been educated, and that's just kind of, I guess, that's the. It's kind of irrelevant for this topic, but that was kind of where they were trying to draw that line of like, mm-hmm. oh, colonialism and stuff through education. But I think one of the parts in the story was that. You know, she kind of grew up in this in this this culture where like oh staying in, in inside this is the norm do that and she felt happy you know mm-hmm. and she saw her kids kind of go through this like education process and she was like it was so frowned upon for her like oh you guys are so you guys are you know your ideologies are all crazy and whack you know mm-hmm. and at some point you know she eventually learns from her kids and she slowly becomes you know enlightened right and she's educated and now she's trying all these new things and it shifts her perspective from like being at home as a safe place. Now her home was simply a prison, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just through opening her mind, she felt instead of like enlightened in that sense, she felt more of a prisoner because mm. she was now in a place where she, you know, like there was no encouragement for her to be able to do that. And I kind of found that parallel in a sense. Mm. And I don't know how realistic this is. You know, I don't know. I never met your teacher, but it's like when you kind of brought up the aspect, like, he was the only person who was outgoing and he was trying all these new things mm-hmm. in a sense. Maybe he found himself in a place where, you know, he he looked upon his 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 not his community, but his his environment as a prison for himself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
you know what I mean? And I was like, it was really cool to think because I was like, oh, this story like relates so well, you know what I mean? I think that might be very true. Um, this person, you know, studies particularly, again, you know, nobody's perfect. And uh, in the film, actually, I, I explored feelings I had that were uh, as a result of his sort of like, Kind of demeaning behavior to me sometimes, even as a teacher. Yeah. Like when he called me, like nothing. Like what? What the fuck? Was, like how does that? How does that encourage? Uh, I don't think you got like anyway. the full brunt of those kind of teacher things. Yeah, yeah. People got whipped back in the yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's probably, stick on the head. Probably were a lot worse <laughs> yeah. examples. Yeah. Um, and it's funny with my dad too. Uh, and I, I hope I can put this into the Victor narrative in some way, but. Uh, Ustaz was kind of a hypochondriac, so he would come to him with all these like medical issues and questions and stuff as well. Um, but but uh, at the same time, he lived a very eccentric lifestyle, and and one example was that he lived with a, a romantic partner. Um, that in this society you would like never live yeah, with someone in course. a like sexual you know way or whatever without being married. Yeah. Um, and and that was that just kind of it was kind of like a, either an f you or like I can't even hear you to society type thing. Um, and so that being reflected in one's practice and art and professional output or whatever is also, uh, you'll see that as well. And, that, and so there's something, there's something there. There's something that I like to look at there. The idea that you are living outside of the bounds of cultural norms while not necessarily doing it out of being like an Just egotistical spiteful. megalomaniac yeah, who exactly. like sociopath or something. Not at all. No. You've just, you've just reached a level where you can clearly see those cultural norms and you you actually can't see any path other than defining them. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So I, I had another question, and I know we're like kind of jumping topics here, but uh, I think kind of going from where you were talking about your time spent in the Middle East, I think one, I think a question that came up for me was, I think as an American or part of like just someone who grew who grew up in the Western world, um, I think that. We have these opinions of how the Middle East is, you know what I mean, like what people from the Middle East are like, because, you know, the media, you know, depicts them as these, like, oh, <laughs> you know, these, like, crazy people, terrorists, you know, quote-unquote. For you, uh, I mean, coming from a, like, a person who, you were, you were someone who was already so outgoing in the sense that you were, you were already learning new cultures you were mm -hmm. you know you associated yourself with other cultures and i think you had that experience with being able to like go out and s be able to see mm -hmm. new people before you judge possibly yeah, yeah. you know what was your yeah what was your what was your perspective going into going into the middle east like what yeah. was you know did you have these preconceived notions of things? i did well i mean we're talking if we're talking about if we can include chad in that realm because chad's very interesting in that it does balance several different identities and people some people might identify it as just Chadian, they might identify as their tribe, they might identify as African or Arab or some mixture of all of those. Um, but I definitely, it definitely fits loosely into like, you know, the Middle East, or whatever. Definitely, you can see a strong influence there as well. Um, so, Chad, uh, going again, expecting that I would learn French instead of Arabic, I had these preconceived notions about what Arabic was. And I, I think I maybe in class mentioned I equated it to kind of like, you know, the, the, game, of, the game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like yeah. 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 And if you listen to the, the linguists who design that language as well, it's, oh, it's like, uh, man, I don't want to judge him too bad, but it seems pretty racist. Like, yeah. It's oh, just yeah. like he's saying, like, well, these people, they're like just rougher and they like they're this just and like that. They're kind of barbaric, barbaric. and yeah. simpletons and they, they even grunt and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. 
And so I had been, even as a nine, 10 year old, knowing I was moving to Chad, kind of programmed with that. So I thought that yeah. Arabic, I had this you know, phrase in my mind, like Rafsim or something. It was yeah. like, that's what Arabic sounds like, yeah. whatever, right? Which of course that gets deconstructed day one when you arrive in, yeah, in Chad or in any country, really, that speaks Arabic. So, uh, so that, yeah, that was one of the preconceived notions. And then, and then now, now, of course, after having that experience, you're equipped for the rest of your life to go any new place and to see its nuances rather than its... Uh, I mean, did you find, like, was it still... Because I would assume, like, I've never been to the Middle East. Um, I have a lot of Middle Eastern friends, you know. Mm. And the, the funny thing is, like, the Middle Eastern friends that I've, I've you know, built up over the years, mm-hmm. like seeing that cultural difference between them is still so great for me. Mm. But, you know, I, I always try to think about it in the sense that the people that get to come here to America and the people that we get to see here in America mm-hmm. are the more culturally outgoing of the, of the mm-hmm. I guess, the two, mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I've never been personally to the Middle East, and it's mm-hmm. like, the, you know, for someone like me coming from America straight into the culture of like mm-hmm. you know Middle East and I guess they because their their culture is so tied in with like mm-hmm. religion and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone like you, you already kind of had to go through a process beforehand mm-hmm. of like being thrown into a in a culture that you didn't know about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Was it a little was it somewhat easier for you or was it still kind of the was the culture shock just as big? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so Chad is its own section of my life so Chad was just as a kid adjusting to things later on coming back and living in places in the Middle East so I, I lived in Sudan for a couple years um, I was in Lebanon before that for about like a month and a half working mm-hmm. um, I lived in Libya for a while uh, like another like a month and a half and then again a few years later Tunisia Egypt and then most recently Saudi Arabia yeah um, yeah in each of those places I I would come in post Chad you know, for one, they're more comfortable than Chad physically. So there's, yeah, of course. there's electricity and AC and all these yeah, things that I, you know, miss as a kid or whatever. Um, so that, that makes it pretty interesting. And, and there's, there's recreation. Like, so like I mentioned how Sudan even has that step up over Chad, but there's, there's fun, there's recreation. It's okay to spend some money on your kids going to like an amusement park or something. People aren't um, as generally uh, desperate economically. Wow. So that's, that's just, to me, that's kind of like fun playground-y kind of stuff. I didn't live in a lot of these places long enough to have like kind of a uh, super deep or nuanced perspective, except for maybe Saudi Arabia and Sudan. So Saudi Arabia is actually the toughest one. Yeah, because... I was about to be like, I think the Middle East is a broad spectrum. Is like there's so many places, but when we talk about, I don't know if you know, but like yeah. Khaliji, yeah, yeah, yeah Khaliji countries, I didn't so realize. Different. I way... didn't realize, and it's not just Saudi Arabia; it is the Khalij, just the, yeah, the, the Gulf as a all. as a in general is so freaking different than the rest of what you would incorporate as the Middle East or the Arab world or the Islamic world, mm-hmm. like the Muslim world. That uh, we're talking like we're talking. Go ahead and that, that, not, that's, I, that's, I, that's, I, okay, cool. not to be rude though, because I interrupted. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can go ahead and finish that question. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. We're, sounds we're good. We're gonna go ahead and uh, yeah. It's um. Conclude here. It's it's kind of hard to deal with, and it, and it's not necessarily from a lack of like you know cultural openness or perspective yeah, or whatever. It's actually because of the cultural openness. So when you get to a place that's so sure that it's doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but all of its people, everyone living in Saudi Arabia, whether they're Saudi, non-Saudi, whatever, feels this pressure yeah. and, and this judgment and this idea of summa, reputation, and you have to perform, and you have, a, yeah, you have like a, an outside image, and that's the God, that's it, that's the, yeah, that's, 
that's, that's I feel like tough. in a sense, yeah. I it hurts your view of Islam and, yeah. and, and of the community. Like, yeah. No, honestly, because I think there, there is so much of that time is like, oh, culture, they form their culture from, from religion. And so yeah. there's this like, this general like assumption that, oh, you know, culture, what's up? They have this like general assumption that like, oh, you know, if you're being cultural, you're following the rules. And it's not that, you know, I think it's like these separate things. Oh, it's like mix the two. I know. Yeah. And so, so literally so doing anything outside of the culture is like kind of there. They assimilate it with like doing anything outside uh, of do, Like two years into my time in Jeddah, uh, being at like a shisha cafe and then like it's Maghrib, call a prayer. And, and then like the guy like doing the azan is like Bangladeshi. And then like it's all these dudes from like Yemen and India and Egypt and that kind of thing and maybe even like, a few Saudis with them and Chadians too. I was like, whoa, amazing, wow, diversity. This is amazing. Yeah. I love this place. I'm like, and I'm saying, whoa. It took me two years to see like a diverse ass like prayer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, Wait a second. What's wrong here? All right. Yeah. Okay. So Bentley, it was yeah. a great time Thanks, having guys. you on our little podcast interview situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those of you who are listening. Possibly, possible audiences here. Um, we're going to give you a chance to plug yourself. Yeah, Socials. Sure. Yeah. Give it, give it away, man. Yeah. So on Twitter and uh, Instagram, Instagram is what I normally use. Uh, Weld Brown. This means like it's like a like a phrase like the son of Brown. You know, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people see it and like, oh, Waldo Brown. Like, where's Waldo? I'm like, oh man, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Weld Brown, W A L D B R O W N, um, is the handle. And then, uh, yeah, YouTube, if you Google, like, Bentley Brown, yeah, you find definitely. me. You guys should definitely check out his work. Very inspirational. Watched his film yesterday. A lot of parallels you can kind of, like, you know, lessons to be learned from those. Um, yeah, so that's all I have to say. Good. Thank you so much for Thank you. being here with us. Thank you both. We yeah. learned a lot. I, I, I feel I, like... My mind is blown. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it's like, we learned a lot so much. I think yeah. there were so many... There's so many lessons that I can kind of take into account for like what we're trying to do with our project and stuff like that. It's really cool. Of Thank course. you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. Awesome.